Hey, this is Red Summer. And this is Hanifa Walida. And we are your gay aunties. Hey, babies. Hey, my darlings. Oh, we're coming back um, at you, and we are really, really excited about this show because we've been wanting to uh, talk about this particular topic for a good minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't want to be half ass about it. Right, right. We want to be all assed. <laughs> We want the whole ass to be showing, you right. know, um, you know, but um, so we wanted to talk about reproductive um, rights and um, how that applies to um, our community, the full community. You know, that means the boys, the girls, transgender folks, um, bisexual, you name it, those mm-hmm. who identify as queer, however you identify within that, you know, how does reproductive rights actually affect us? Um, it's something that I know I per se cannot, I have ideas, but I can't yeah, succinctly answer that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, um, we have a wonderful guest, Red, do you want to introduce our guest? Yes, we have the beautiful, wonderful, brilliant Monica Ray with us today, um, who is working with Sister Song. I knew I was going to get that wrong. I got it right. Okay. <laughs> <You> did. <laughs> I was working with Sister Song and has been for many years. Um, I used to love, love, love going to the house, to the sister house and, and spending time there with the women doing amazing work for our community and have been for a lot of time. And I'll um, just let you tell us a little bit about what you all do specifically and um, we can go from there. Yeah, because I actually want to know, too, because I'm new to Atlanta. So, like, I've met you at a couple of parties here and there, but I really don't know what you do and what your people do. So For sure, for sure. (laughs) This is such an honor. Can I just say that I love this podcast. I love what you all are doing with your platform. I love you both for what you do in the community. And so I am truly honored to be up on this situation with you all today. So um, Say word. word. For sure, for sure. So, um. Yeah. So Sister Song, you know, I moved to Atlanta in 2010 to actually work for Sister Song because I was introduced to the concept of reproductive justice back in around 2007, 2008, when I first heard the voice of Loretta Ross, who was one of the mothers of this movement. Mm. Um, And I was at the U.S. Social Forum at that time doing work around abolishing for-profit private prisons and immigrant detention centers and coming out of doing a lot of, you know, LGBTQ liberation work. And so when I heard Loretta Ross speak about this concept of intersectionality and helping me understand the fullness of what that meant, not just in theory, but in practice, and then helping me understand that reproductive justice as a framework and as a movement was intersectional, was rooted in human rights, and mm-hmm. was actually started by Black women, I was absolutely like yeah. pulled right in immediately, right? Because it truly was one of those first spaces where I felt like in a social justice space that I was able to bring all parts of who I was into the room. Like I didn't have to check an identity at the door. So my queerness, my blackness, my womb, my body, my uterus, all of that was like seen as central, right? Nice. And, and then in a lot of other movements, that's not always the case, right? I think that we're starting to move closer to that as people are understanding that single issue organizing doesn't necessarily get us the wins, right? So that's mm. what really brought us, brought me into this work. And when I found out there was an opportunity at Sister Song, um, I went for it <laughs> um, and luckily got the job. And I've been the executive director now since 2013. Congratulations. So, All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Sister Song was founded in 1997 um, as a national women of color collective. So at the time, Black women, Indigenous Native women, 
Latinas, Asia Pacific Islander women, they were already doing work in their communities at the grassroots level around their reproductive health and rights and their needs in those particular issue areas. But at that time, it was very difficult for women of color, black women, indigenous women to really have their issues and their leadership centered because the reproductive health and rights world was very much dominated by white mainstream feminist women, right? And so they realized, surprise, surprise. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And so what they realized at the time is that if they wanted their their needs to be centered and their voices to be centered, that they wanted to be able to do that collectively and to really be able to make a national force around that. So Sister Song was created as the collective to be able to do that work. And so we continue to do that work today um, all across this country. We are a Southern-based national organization, which actually means a lot to us because a lot mm. of our national orgs are in DC, are in New York. But if we are true to the tenets of reproductive justice, which um, demands that we send to the most marginalized, that yeah. we are fighting to dismantle white supremacy in this country, that we're being intersectional, um, and that we're striving for the human right to have the children that we want um, to prevent um, or to delay or to end pregnancies with dignity and safely and legally, um, to be able to parent the children we have in healthy and safe environments, not riddled with police bullets or you know, our communities being pumped contaminated water, right? If we're talking about the fullness of that, we need it to be in the center of that. And the South is definitely where that is for us. So that's the work that I do every day. And that's a little bit about Sister Song and reproductive justice, which is a little bit different than the See, that, of that, health and rights. Exactly. And that's actually one of the questions I had, because I think sometimes they're used interchangeably. Yeah. And I, and myself, I don't know exactly what that difference is, because I think I use it interchangeably as well. So yeah. maybe you can explain that. Yeah, for sure. So reproductive health and rights are powerful movements. They have amazing strategies. They've done a lot of amazing work using this pro-choice framework, right? That it's about we have the right to make our own choices and we need to fight for that, right? And a lot of their work was centered in abortion rights, um, contraceptive use and all of that, which has been amazing work over the decades, right? We have Roe v. Wade in place, which we can talk a little bit about later about it being chipped away. But you know, mm -hmm. we, we, we've, won a, we've, we've had some gains, right? With this particular framework. But the black women that came together in 1994 to actually develop reproductive justice said that yes, the pro-choice frame is important, but if we're thinking about the way that systems of oppression are set up in this country, right? Mm -hmm. Black and brown folks don't always have the privilege of choice. Right, um, and so that then by that then that then blocks a lot of our people out of the conversation and a lot of our issues off the table. Right, yeah. and so they wanted to make sure that reproductive justice was yes about fighting for our legal rights with the reproductive rights frame and our health care under the reproductive health frame, but connecting that to the very real social justice issues that impact our lives and our ability to make decisions about our reproductive lives, and we those things are inextricably linked for black and brown folks in this country. And so this um, framework of reproductive justice pushes us outside of that choice framework and allows us to look at, again, this work in a more intersectional way. Because you know, Audre Lorde told us we do not live single issue lives. So we cannot have single issue movements and reproductive justice expanded that to include our right to maternal health and parenting and birth justice. You know, we have to talk about the fact that black women are dying at a rate four times higher than white women in childbirth. Right. What does that mean for us? We have to talk about the erasure of the granny midwife and how the, the, the medical industrial complex really took, tore that away from our communities. We have to talk about the child welfare system and how important it is for us to be able to bring our children into a world where they're able to survive and thrive 
lives. And so reproductive justice really actually talks about the fullness of our lives and advocates for that on a policy level, but also on a deep personal community level of us being able to have access to what we need. So it's not it's not just the re, uh, reproduction in the sense of reproducing another human being, right? The reproduction of life, like or, or absolutely the, and sustaining or the support, of the life, the, the support and, of yeah. life, exactly, <laughs> absolutely. Exactly. Because yeah. you know everyone doesn't have doesn't want to have kids, and some everyone can't have children. But we are all like on this planet with something in us that we have to birth, right? So we think mm. about reproductive justice in the largest and most expansive sense of the word. That what do, what do I need if I don't want to actually procreate? What do I need to be able to live healthy? to survive, to, 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 to thrive in this country, to be able to produce whatever it is that I am to birth okay. into this world. You feel me? So, no, yeah. I, I feel you, but you're going deep. I've <laughs> never heard, no, I've never heard that perspective yeah. and expand it because now you're kind of touching into how this would also in one way, um, you know, impact uh, um, queer um, folks. Absolutely. But I like, mm-hmm. you know, what you were saying, you know, uh, this this kind of single issue organizing, which is kind of, been connected with queer folks for a minute, but Mm. um, because usually that word comes up as like, oh, you know, marriage, you know, gay marriage Mm -hmm. or what have you, where I personally, I'm not a big fan of the institution of marriage Mm. and and, and in the context of queer folks, it's always seemed like that was a a white affluent male in particular, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, fight. So, so, you know, though I have good friends who are married and and that's all wonderful, you know, one here. Yay for marriage. But I I think one of the small things I did resent is that that became our singular issue. And I was like, uh, really? Yeah. That's the the one issue we go into the grave with. Like we really Mm. trying to fight tooth and nail for. That's the first thing out of the box. (laughs) You know? And I think, you know, what's interesting about that, because I mean, I've definitely, I've, because a lot of my, my organizing really started in LGBTQ liberation work. You know, I was on the, at the beginning end of like, what is the big policy battle, you know, for LGBTQ folks? What can we win? What are we all going to put our money, our resources, our energy, our, or our organizing into? And mm-hmm. yes, marriage rose to the top. And I think that, you know, although that was a very amazing battle, I'm glad that we did all the work that mm-hmm. we did. If we think about a reproductive justice framework, because that's the powerful thing about reproductive justice. It's not just a movement, because it is a movement led by Black women, women of color all across this country every single day, but it's also a frame. And the framework is like, how are we centering the needs of the most marginalized? And if the LGBTQ community was actually able to at that time, like if we go backwards, right, and think about like what were the most important needs for our community, it may not have been a policy battle. It actually may have been access to healthcare. It may actually mm-hmm. have been, you know, access to, you know, comprehensive educate comprehensive sex education that helps young people understand how to like move and talk and do, you know, who they are. It could have been a whole yes. bunch of other things, right? And even I made the same face when you said that because yeah, I I work in high schools. I am floored with how little information yeah. children have. And I'm starting to think even back, like y'all didn't even get the, the video with the cows. Like y'all didn't, didn't get nothing. They didn't. They didn't. You know, most of our states are still dealing with abstinence only education. I grew up in the rural South, like the country dirt road South. That's where I grew up. Union County, North Carolina. And when I tell you, the only thing we got was abstinence only education. And so it, it's interesting to me when I think about my life journey and what led me to reproductive justice. And I go back and look over my life. It's like, oh, all of these different things were leading me towards this movement and this work. It feels like such a calling to be mm-hmm. in this work in this moment. Um, because I saw 
the impact of not being able to have access to comprehensive sex education. Right. We're actually setting our children up for failure when we don't teach them about their bodies and consent and relationships mm -hmm. and how to engage with one another. We have people so like disconnected from their bodies. And so if we are starting from that place, how do we expect for us to know how to make our best decisions, you know, around family planning? How are we making our best decisions about, you know, our maternal, like when we want to start family or any of that, because we're not even connected to our bodies, right? And, so, yeah. And, 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 and not for nothing, even with sex education, it still is in this kind of heterosexual mind exactly. frame. Forget about trying to educate the young queer. First of all, just trying to support young queer Ooh. people coming out at a particular age, right. which is a lot easier these days, but not for everyone Absolutely. still. And when they do come out, it's not like, yay, I'm out. It's like, no, now you need to know. <laughs> mm -hmm. That the rules still apply to you in the sense that when you in, how do you engage with someone you're interested with? How do you protect yourself and them, exactly. and still enjoy whatever it is you're experiencing with them? And a lot of our young queer kids, you know, they happen to be out at whatever age they come out, and that the momentum of coming out can be so powerful. Yeah, you will forget your ass in a minute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> forget whatever somebody might have told you or said to you, even when they thought you were straight. You yeah. got all of that and you jumping into the bed and being careless and feeling invincible as young people do feel mm -hmm. often. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's interesting, like when we talk about sex education, are we also, and I'm sure you are, well, I'll let you answer that, is the conversation also including queer people in that reproductive justice and talking about Absolutely. bringing sex education back into the school? Absolutely. It is absolutely included in that. When we say comprehensive sex education, we're talking about how do we make sure that we're, we're talking about that across all genders, sexualities, experiences, all of that. And that we're having these conversations not void of pleasure, right? Mm -hmm. Because what is really important, because you know, when, when I was growing up and only getting that abstinence only education, we were taught to fear sex. We were taught to, it was like this bad, negative, nasty, horrible thing, yeah. right? And so don't do it until you get married. But if you're telling me that it's so bad my entire life, am I going to want to do it when I get married? No. I, <laughs> no. Those things are not connecting. So when we talk about comprehensive sex education, it is talking about us what we need across all of our different sexualities and genders. And it's not void of pleasure because if we teach people that, yes, because because we're going to want to do it. Like, I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about mm -hmm. that. People are going to want to do it. it. It is a natural biological thing to feel for most of us to feel, you know, th those energies rise up in us and want to do something with that. How do we make sure that people know that that's not wrong, that they're not shamed for that, and that they're given access to information to help them navigate their decision making and the things that they want to do with that energy in their most powerful way, right? That's mm -hmm. reproductive justice. Woo! I mean, that, I mean, that covers um, a lot. It does. It does. It does. Oh my God. It's, it's, it's the, it's the key. Like it's like the center of the work, um, for us. And we can't have these conversations about, re and that's the other thing about reproductive health and rights and like all of these different things. We immediately jump to these conversations around abortion access and contraception and maternal health. You know, now mm -hmm. we're starting to do that more and all of those things. And we're like skipping over the fact that sex is a thing too, right? So we can't not have these conversations void of sex and pleasure and bodily autonomy and like all of that that's wrapped up in these conversations. When I um, first started, uh, well, when I became or came out as a lesbian, I don't even know how to phrase it at this point, but I remember <laughs> going to the doctor and then being like, okay, when's the last time you had sex? Yesterday? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, 
Is it possible that you could be pregnant? No. Did you use contraceptive? No. Well, how do you know you're not pregnant? I like my... Now... Because... <laughs> The person that I'm having sex with doesn't have sperm. <laughs> and or, getting, that getting that reaction from the doctor, like, I don't know what to do with you then. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the funniest, not even funnier, but what's even worse is that I have that same experience. Like, nigga, look at me. <laughs> do you really? I mean, not to say that women like me don't have sex with men, but yeah. I, need, I need you to just take an educated guess right here while I'm saying I know damn well I ain't pregnant. I, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> that, that is such, y'all, that's such an issue, right? When I say that the medical industrial complex is so far behind, right? Yeah. Like they're still being educated from very outdated, non-social justice oriented curriculum. They're just not. And mm -hmm. their continuing education hasn't necessarily always afforded them the opportunity to be in these conversations with us. It's a big, we are siloed completely off from each other. And a lot of the work that Sister Song has been doing over the past couple of years now is actually um, working with our service providers. So we've been working with medical schools like Yale, um, like uh, medical schools in Michigan, um, Duke Medical School. We've also been working with departments of health in North Carolina and Boston in, um, well, Massachusetts, I should say. Um, in Rhode Island, like working in these particular areas, helping them understand these new concepts, these terms, so that they know who they are working with as they come into their doors. Like people are not just coming in to get care anymore, right? They're coming in with a whole host of like fear and anxiety and like all of these other issues that are like really weighing down on their lives that's actually impacting their health, it's impacting their decision-making. And if we are not seeing these things connected, then we're actually not providing care in the best way for folks. So we've really been trying to bridge that gap. Um, and we started that in, um, in partnership with the National Women's Health Network because there was a conversation starting to happen in the medical world where um, long-acting reversible contraceptives are called LARCs, right? We're starting to be pushed on communities of color in a really intentional way. A lot of I'm money. sorry, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Yeah. So when we think about people who are looking to um, prevent or delay pregnancy and they want to take birth control of some kind, one particular method is a LARC right? Long acting reversible contraceptive. And so these are the things that you put in you that last for longer periods of time, right? Okay. Okay. But so we, this we, is like the shot or the implant yeah, or exactly. IUD stuff like that. Absolutely. And so what we saw was that there was a lot of money, a lot of resourcing, a lot of energy going into folks saying, well, this is the way that we end unwanted pregnancies. We just put everybody on larks and then we're good. Right. And we're like, yes, on one hand, we want to make sure that all of our communities have access to the full range of all methods to prevent or delay pregnancy. Absolutely. But we don't trust you, honky. But we don't trust you <laughs> because we know what the history has looked like in our communities. Sterilization is real. The the trial of, you know, the, the birth control pill was first tried out on Puerto Rican women. We didn't know what the side effects was that gonna, what, of that was going to be. Mm -hmm. So black and brown bodies have been used for centuries. Right. We can go back to J. Marion Sims and him using slave women. Right. 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 To, de to determine what he was going to do with all of his different surgeries. contractions. <laughs> do you feel me? Right. So, no, our folks are not here to repeat history in any kind of way. So how do we take a more reproductive justice approach to this and understanding that history and making sure that there is non-coercive, that, that 
you know, service providers aren't being coercive and pushing people towards one method over others because they don't take the time to actually listen to black women, listen mm -hmm. to brown women, listen to folks coming in, whether they, whatever their sexuality is, cis, trans, gender non-confirming, they're not listening to our stories and our needs and they're just moving to whatever they think right? The best practice should be. And so we've been really trying to do a lot of work of like breaking that apart so that people can get the best care. I also was um, talking to a, a good friend of mine who has fibroids yeah. and she's been um, experiencing like going to different doctors because everybody is saying hysterectomy. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and she feels like kind of attacked. Like, yeah, this is the first thing that's thrown out. Um, yeah. and not, um, any other treatments or any other things yeah. before that and feeling like it's because like, she's a black woman that they don't want to bother with putting the work into like treating her yeah. in any like real way. And they'd rather just do surgery. Yeah. It's sad too that I I'm so sorry to hear that because I'm, when I tell you all we are getting we're having to be in this conversation more and more because there's so many black women who are dealing with this fibroid issue. Like it is becoming an epidemic if it's not already an epidemic, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's sad because folks are just like, so many folks are losing their wombs, they're losing their ability um, to, to, to bring life into the world because there, you know, again, there is this huge divide between the medical industrial complex and like, you know, those who are doing more holistic care, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's really hard because then we have to think about the economics that are connected to that. This is what reproductive justice is all about. So yeah. folks who may not want to go the medical industrial complex route and may want to choose more of a homeopathic or a more natural way of handling their issues, sometimes that becomes so far out of reach for folks, right? Because it becomes more expensive and then our insurance carriers don't really take care of that, but they want to mm. take care of this. And so folks feel just like at a loss what they can do for themselves. And so a lot of the work that a lot of the reproductive justice organizations do around this country is making sure our communities have access to those services, right? And like providing um, resources for folks across whatever spectrum they want, right? In terms of their care and working with those folks to help them understand the importance of them making their services more available for our community. So here in Atlanta, we have our Wound Wellness Days, um, and we have our resource days where we're out in the community helping people get access to this information and working with folks. There's a powerful sister in Atlanta um, called Dr. Eshe. She's like the womb lady. And she has mm. worked with people for years to actually naturally take care of their fibroids. And so we work with folks like her and others, right? To help people look at all of the different options that they have around taking care of their bodies and what's happening to our bodies, you know? And, and just speaking, you know, to this, because I'm thinking about, you know, when many, uh, because I have I've have at least a couple of dozen friends that have dealt with fibroids, yeah. both small and what the hell is that in your body? Yeah. <laughs> type yeah. of fibroids. And 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 a lot of, of my friends have gotten um, hysterectomies, um, some um, opted on other things, including yeah. myself, right? And, but I know for myself, um, when I was told that I had fibroids, mm -hmm. um, I went into research mode, um, not just to Google, but calling up my friends and said, okay, yeah. I'm considering, and, and I'm gonna put it in a queer context. I was at first considering a hysterectomy because in the back of my head, I was like, well, I ain't gonna have no motherfucking babies. You know, um, you know I, was like, I was like, so I'm not gonna have no period anymore. I could be done with that, cool, cool beans. But then I talked to a friend and she's like, yeah, you technically don't bleed, but you still feel the symptoms. 
Only okay. she's for herself. She yeah. still feels the symptoms of having her period. I was like, well, then what's the fucking point then? So I'm like, <laughs> that's real. Well, that's I'm, real. Not saying, I'm, I'm saying all this to say that sometimes, sometimes as black folks, we're sitting down with our doctors. Maybe they're another black person and they'll be on point. But a lot of times they're not. And though in the back of the head, we have our ancestors whispering like, listen, girl, don't trust everything they say. Do your research. There's still sometimes a sense that you want to believe what they're saying. How do I get rid of this pain? And I'm just saying on top of Mm -hmm. the work that uh, people like Monica are doing out there, reproductive justice, you also have to be your own warrior. You know, trust, trust the whispers from your ancestors, do your due diligence, get a second opinion at the very least, Google at the very least, talk to your friends, because we all have friends that are dealing with fibroids, at least one, you know, Mm -hmm. or an auntie, if you're too young to have friends that deal with fibroids, (laughs) and and get the real deal for people who actually are going through it and really understand that there are options other than hysterectomies. Yeah, that that is the key. You said it perfectly. Like, you have Mm -hmm. to be your own advocate, you have to be your own warrior, you, that, like, you got to take care of yourself. And I think that the more that we realize that we have community too, because that is that is extremely important to our reproductive lives, like being in community. And that's just something, you know, as I've worked with a lot of midwives and birth workers, you know, in this work that we do, I'm actually a doula um, as well. So helping folks, you know, bring these babies into the world, um, a birth doula, because there's also abortion doulas um, mm. and full spectrum doulas and all the kinds. Um, yeah, yeah, there are. And so, um, you know, working with these midwives and like learning the history of how much we used to be connected in our communities, right? Um, and yeah, just sitting down and talking with folks and being in circles with one another, like learning from each other's experiences. Like we we can't deny the power of that and like our stories and sharing our stories are so important. Like right now, as we're in the, the height of, you know, this abortion battle that we're in in this country, um, there's a there's a huge push for folks to tell their abortion stories. And it's powerful to be able to hear folks talk about their experiences and their reasons and their resiliency and all of that that comes out of these stories. Um, but it's not just, it, it's abortion stories that we have to continue to amplify, but it's also stories around how we handled our fibroids, right? Mm-hmm. How we made it through childbirth, how we, you know, what was our first sexual experience like that where we felt like we were empowered in our decision-making. Like all of those stories are important because it helps to shift the narrative and shift the culture around these issues that get so stigmatized, right? Um, and so driven, you know, into other conversations. It's like, we, we yeah, we gotta do it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you're actually hitting it on the head. I'm writing notes because one of, the, I mean, I think it's a beautiful thing that more women are coming out, not just saying, yes, I've had an, I've had an abortion, or I've had abortions for this reason, that, and the third, but coming out vehemently, like yes, yes or, or matter of factly, rather, that's right, making it something a matter of fact that this is a part of it. Just like you can say, I'm on a pill, and ain't nobody thinking two shits about it. You can say I've had abortion for such and such reason, but in a way that is empowering and not like, because I'm thinking about, again, around our people, we're already dealing with um, the layers yeah. of sh- of shame with either being in the black or some sort of black religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know um, the shame of being queer, that's enough of a battle just coming out. Then just overall black shame as a black uh, uh, woman, you know, me saying that I have abortions, am I strengthening the stereotypes? Am I of the welfare mom and six, six, oh, all yeah. that crap, you know, and that prevents us from when empowering ourselves in others in this thing that so many women married or not have had. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, 
you said it right. Like I, I, I do love the power of storytelling just in general. Um, and I do know how like these, because I'm also a church girl. I grew up in the church. You know, the church is mm-hmm. like, was my first organizing center for myself. <laughs> so where I learned how to do this organizing stuff that I do um, was in the church, right? But I also saw the, it was also, the church is also where I experienced, um, you know, the most, some of the, some of my biggest heartbreaks, you know, um, I, where I saw what, you know, oppression really looked like was actually in the church, right? Like seeing women not being able to stand in the pulpit because they weren't a man. So sexism is real. Patriarchy is real. You know, I Mm -hmm. saw, you know, how, you know, the gay organist at my church, how he was shunned and pushed aside, even though they wanted his talent, they Mm -hmm. didn't want him. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like how alone and and, and stifled he was. And, you know, I saw the shame that the young women who got pregnant before graduating high school and chose to, you know, have those babies and and to become parents, not young parents. Right. Like that whole stigma that we put on people who choose to be parents. Like why we have to add another layer that you're a young parent. That's crazy. But whatever, like the shame that they had to endure. And some of them actually not even wanting to have you know, a child, you know, it was interesting as my abortion story is, is weird. I've never had an abortion, but I have an abortion story. And I think that that is also the case for a lot of other people. Right. Because I remember having sex with my boyfriend in high school and the condom breaking. And he was very excited because he thought that he was going to plan my life for me. Right. (laughs) So he's like, yeah, we can get this double wide trailer and we can you can go to community school. And that nigga said double wide trailer. He said double wide and that we could brick it in in the bottom. Right. He was serious. (laughs) No, that's that's big deal. That was I mean, he was single wide. Yeah. You got the double wide. He was. It was in that very moment. I literally just shared this story with my mom on Mother's Day this year. And I said, you know what, mom, at that moment, if I was pregnant by this dude, I want you to know that I would have had an abortion. There is no Mm. way in here. I knew I wasn't going to be with this dude for the rest of my life. Yeah. I did not want him. I wanted the sex because it felt great. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I did not want him. And so, and and I had a plan for my own life. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do all these different things I wanted to do. And I was like, I'm not ready for a baby. Right. So I would have had an abortion, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing all of what that would have meant for me, my family. I may have told somebody, I may not have. All the things came up for me. But I think that there's so many folks in the world like that, right? Where there was a, you know, a mishap or just not ready or whatever it is, whatever the reasons are, like people have to know, but it is our human right to be able to make our own decisions for ourselves, for our bodies. It is not up to politicians. It is not up to our preachers. It's not up to our parents. It's not up to anybody to tell us what we need to do for our bodies and what decisions we need to make for our lives. Those are ours, right? So I just think that, you know, again, this the storytelling aspect is so important in this political moment and just where we are in general in life. People have to understand the myriad of stories and experiences that we're all bringing to the table. Yeah. I'm glad that you're that you're actually saying two words together because um, you started with stigma, right? Yeah. And then storytelling. And mm-hmm. I think it's those tie in for me because one, a lot of young people aren't um, talked to from adults who actually have um, sound, credible information, right? And so we always push this, um, the conversation aside, like, well, children are supposed to learn about this at home. But if the people at their home are not able to give them this information, then willing, willing, 
it, I the things that children have told me that they were told about sex and sexuality from their parents. Honey. From their parent. <laughs> and we are assuming that parents are giving children like loving, credible information to make sure that they're healthy and happy. No, like they get some toxic shit Absolutely. from their parents. A lot of them are being abused and, and sexually assaulted by their parents. And yeah. so we are leaving this up to people who are not <laughs> qualified. Or, or, or just to, or just to um, out of respect for the job that is parenthood, sometimes they give information out of straight up fear. And right. And of course. Course. I'm, I'm you know, yeah. And so yeah. the, the other side to it is that there are so many parents who are afraid either from church or their conservative upbringings or whatever it is to talk to children at all about sex. And so yeah. that whole abstinence only conversation comes because people just don't want to talk about it at all. And so children, young people, adults, Mm-hmm. I have adult friends who will not use tampons because they were told as children, right? No, it's real. That is some right. real. <laughs> and, 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 you know, some really weird stuff from their parents, from their right? Parents. But I didn't their parents were so college. Didn't do it till college <laughs> because I was told that that made me that made me a little slut. Like, I mean, you don't put stuff in your coochie yet. You don't do that. And I'm like, I've but I'm bleeding like heard hell. Of no shit like this before in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm no, it's real. Like, what? And in the South, it gets crazy. It gets crazy. And you know, what's interesting. I, I tell people this a lot and where, where I have opportunities to like really dig in with folks. Like, you know, I, we have to understand that our parents, 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 like if we go all the way back, we come from an enslaved people, right? Mm-hmm. Who did not have any control of their own bodily autonomy. And they did in, well, they did and they didn't, right? Because mm-hmm. I know that, you know, slave women in particular did what they needed to do to control their own fertility. And we have mm-hmm. to be real about that. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting talk when we it. talk in these conversations about abortion today and people say, oh, it's so horrible, it's so bad. No, it's a decision that one makes in their reproductive life. And yeah. if we go back and think that black women have not always done what they needed to do to control their fertility, we're crazy. Mm-hmm. Because you can go back in history and know that there were slave women who said that I do not want this child to grow up in this slave place. I don't mm-hmm. want them to have to endure what I am enduring. And they did what they needed to do to take care of themselves, whether it was packing themselves with herbs to, to end their pregnancies or whatever it was they needed to do. And so mm-hmm. but we're coming from a, a, a people whose bodies were, bo- were bound and whipped we're and chained theirs. and were not theirs. And so we are, we're still living in the that, that still lives in us, right? And so mm-hmm. there, therefore these conversations are, are so far removed because we don't want to be in deep conversation about these issues like Red was saying in a lot of our families because we're coming from that generational trauma that's yeah. still in our, it's, it's in our bloodline. So we're having to do a lot of work today of like not only you know building ourselves up and continuing the work that we're all doing, but also doing the work to rid ourselves of that trauma so that we're not having these stigmatized conversations so that we are able to teach our young women and children and folks who are growing up that they can really be whoever it is that they want to be. And it is their right to be able to have self-determination over their bodies. But it takes a lot to be able to do that, which is why I think this conversation now around abortion is becoming so much at the forefront you know, of our, of our work right now, because it's like addressing this is going to help us you know, have so many more 
Yeah, so many yeah. other conversations that are also just as stigmatized. But this is the big one. It's a huge one. You know. Well, you know, I want to actually talk about conversation um, because I've always um, felt that, like us three, can have this conversation, and there are those who are listening to us that when, can have this conversation. And in the words that we're using, the language that we're using, the way we're even structuring our sentences, can sometimes seem foreign to a lot of people. Right. Or even if we're, you know making sense to you, but you're like, well, how the hell am I going to relay that to my mama? Or how the hell am I going to relate, go back home for Thanksgiving and have this conversation across the table? Because anybody trying to hear intersectionality uh, across right. the, the, the dinner table. So, you know, I mean, you may not have all the answers right here, but like how yeah. can people start thinking about what is the language? Because this is really important, y'all, because and, and, and I love I love y'all, but sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm going to sound like your grandma, but you get college educated. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then you don't know how to talk to me. That's real. That okay. Is real. And you have the information, but you don't know how to communicate the information. Mm-hmm. I think that is half the battle as well. So like, can we maybe try to talk all three of us around how can young people talk to an older generation or just any generation that thinks differently, or even when they talk to anyone in the world that thinks differently around or who's pro-life, put it yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 You know. I got a lot of thoughts about that, but I I, I will say this first. I think you're right. You know, I do not consider myself an academic. I went to college. I barely made it out, Um, (laughs) to be quite honest. You know, I'm smart. I read a lot of books, but, you know, I don't consider myself an academic. Um, Mm. That's not my that's not my leadership style. That's not my language. It's not how I roll. Um, But I do think that even in movement work that I have to be mindful of what I call movement speak. Right. And so I can still use language and be in like those presenter workshoppy kind of modes that can knock some people out of the conversation. So I work really, really hard to make sure that when I'm having conversations about intersectionality, I'm not even using that word. I'm like, yo, I am black. I am lesbian. I live in the South. I am a woman, cisgendered woman. You know what I'm saying? I have a uterus. Like all of these things are connected to so many um, points of like, my power for sure, but also come with a lot of oppression. And so, and they're all stigmatized or they're all violated or, you know, all of these different things. So I talk about it from that point of view, like helping people understand all the identities that you walk with and how they are impacted by outside forces in the world. That is intersectionality, right? So when I have a conversation about my mom with my mom, I'm like, yeah, let's talk about all the different layers of who you are and like how all of those things come to play in your life. That is intersectionality. So we don't have to use those words. I'm 100% down with you. We Mm got to start talking to people, you know, from their own lived experiences. And I think that that was the power that these black women who came together to create reproductive justice was really rooted in. They were like, we can't do this work without being connected to our real stories, our real experiences with people, because we will lose our people if they don't see that we are connected in that way. So I just, yeah, that's just one thing I want to say is that we have to talk about people from our lived experiences and to find our connections because we all have a story to tell. We use this in our training every single day with our communities. We all have a story to tell. And the more that we know each other's stories and we can find the connections in our stories, then we don't have to use the big language, but we can actually put that language into practice. Is the the work uh, of reproductive justice um, Mm -hmm. specifically female um, or female bodied um, or is there a capacity of it that includes um, men as well? Like I'm, I I teach high school, at an all boys high school yeah, right now. Yeah, no, for real. And, mm-hmm. and I really and gay think men about, in particular. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think about too um, for 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 my straight and my gay students. Like 
they first aren't given some of the fundamental stuff that girls are given. Like you're mm -hmm. beautiful, you're wonder, you're wonderful, your body's a yeah. temple, you should blah, 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 blah. Like they are not even taught to wash their balls. Like it's like That's real. <laughs> really, really serious. Mm -hmm. And any conversation around hygiene, around um, so many aspects of yeah. normal life are gay, right? And so they have to stay so far away from it that like I even read this this thread, this man does not wipe himself after he uses the bathroom because he was told that that was gay. He lets it ball up and fall off. Like, shut up. I don't believe it. I don't believe that it. Wiping his ass will make him gay. Right? Guess what, honey? You gay. Because if you go into those extremes, there's some, there's some sit down you need to have with yourself. That is some <laughs> Come scary on. stuff. Right. But, 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 and yes, there is. So what I will say is that the evolution of this movement has been really beautiful, right? Because, you know, I love this work and I, I do it every single day, but this movement really started off in a way that was very womb centered, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and it has been criticized for starting off for being like very cisgendered centered, right? Mm -hmm. And its approach and the way that it was talking, um, because it was talking about abortion and contraception and all of that. And we weren't really at that time, now over 20 years ago, really thinking about what that meant across different um, identities and sexualities. And I will say that we have had so many more folks start to enter into this movement to work, um, queer and trans folks, um, and men, like we hired our first cisgendered man, a man and sister song a couple <laughs> years ago. His name is Oreo, he's amazing. We love them to death. And so people are being more, they're starting to be pulled into this work and their leadership is actually helping to shift the conversation, to expand the conversation, to make sure that folks are able, so that everyone is able to see themselves in this work. Because the way that I also talk about reproductive justice is that no matter what movement that you're in, whether it's economic justice, environmental justice, LGBTQ liberation, whatever that is, whatever your movement entry point is, all movements require you know, our expertise, our gifts, but also our bodies, right? Mm. And so our bodies have to be healthy. They have to have what they need to be able to like do all that they need to do, that we need to have access to what we need so we can actually fuel our movements, right? So all movements to me start with reproductive justice, to be quite mm -hmm. honest. Like the way that we center that, then we are actually able to make sure that we're all, that our bodies and our lives are, have what we have what we need in our lives rather to be able to do the work that we need to do. I love, I love that you're really emphasizing, you know, that this is not whether you have a womb or not, right? right? And, and how this is connected to all these aspects of our life. And, and, I, and what I'm sensing is that it also has the potential to um, support the conversation that um, a lot of cisgender uh, women are having or maybe not having yeah. with transgender women and vice versa. Let's keep it real. Yeah. You know, um, because it's this block. Well, it's just tra basically transphobia, you know, and but there's transphobia from the, that's coming from uh, cisgender women and from cisgender women's perspective, mm -hmm. there's this, this idea of erasure. Mm -hmm. And I'm someone who has come a long way around this. Mm -hmm. And I feel my, at this point, I feel like I'm a fly in the wall just looking at everybody aren't you yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean i'm like there has there what we're missing here is where is exactly our common ground like you said storytelling you know it's your experience whereas your you may have experiences different from mine we have many more experiences that are the same yeah so if we talk 
inclusively yes. in a way. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I want to I want to tread lightly on this. And when I say inclusively, because our community loves to use all inclusiveness, but then there still is this feeling because I hear mm. it all the time yeah. of erasure. So some people aren't feeling the all inclusive. It's like almost like as we include, we exclude. It's yeah. Weird. yeah. But maybe, you know, this the way you're explaining reproductive justice is mean there has to be a middle ground for everyone yeah. to be included in the idea of justice. That's that right. all need, there's no hierarchy of oppression. No. Cis, black, cisgender, women in general are still getting Olympic. fucked. Exactly. <laughs> still going missing, still getting abused and mutilated as transgender women are still going missing, still going, still being abused and mutilated and killed. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like we all getting fucked. But how do we have the conversation (laughs) where where, I'm saying this because I recently had an unfortunate um, or intense um, social media thread conversation with a particular cisgender woman who was who was commenting on a post where you had two sisters at some rally somewhere. One was holding up a sign saying um, protect cisgender women. And the other one was holding up a sign saying protect transgender women. I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's everybody, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, for the most part, right? You know, but she as a black cisgender woman was feeling that transgender women were getting too much energy. You know, and we still got problems. What's up with that? I said, hold on, slow your roll. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. what you're doing is completely non-productive. Yeah. And, and just like I tell white folks, just look around. You there. If you don't see the progression of black women and not so much see that connected to the progression of transgender women. You know, like in other words, like just because mm-hmm. you see a few. Because polls is on TV, honey. Right. <laughs> does not mean that they have caught up. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, yeah. and we still and and we are on TV too. A lot more of us. This this new generation mm-hmm. of media makers. I love them to death. God bless them. They are the culmination of our dreams. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. You know what I mean. And but this is not the time to be nitpicking on. Well, they got a show. They got two shows. Um, should we have this many shows or whatever or not? You know. But right. still also respecting how as human beings we want to see ourselves. I mean, I'm the first one to bitch. I don't see myself on TV very. I'm Lena. Lena Waithe is basically holding it down She's for all for all the masculine lesbians. Come through, come through. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But she she about the only one. I mean, that's real. That's real. <laughs> you know I what think I mean? Representation matters, and we still have a long way to go. I think <laughs> that we also have a long way to go in our conversations across, you know, um, cis and transgender Black women in particular. Um, I think the way that white supremacy is set up in this country, the way that oppression is set up, it is set up to keep us divided. And the longer we are divided, and the more that we are able to, you know, um, lean into our division, then it just it, it furthers the opposition and it keeps us in reactionary mode. And so what I'm trying to do as much as possible in these conversations. I'm glad that you engage in that conversation on social media um, because we have to be able to be in these rooms together and start to build with one another and find our common ground with each other. And I don't think that we do that enough. I think that we focus on the on the ways that we are so different and we don't focus on the ways that we are all impacted by these systems and really horrible and scary ass ways right now. Um, and that should be our driving force. Like we it's going to take all of us. It really is to 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 move ourselves from this very reactionary position that our opposition has had us in for decades, right? While they have been working on their decade decades long strategy of how they continue to hold on to their power because of the fear that they have of themselves becoming less and less and less 
in power because of their numbers leaving mm -hmm. the yeah. world, yeah, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we have to know that that's what this is all rooted in is fear. And I think that that is also what, what we are rooted in and this like divide that we're seeing with cis and trans women is fear, like cis, a, a fear of us not understanding, the fear of us saying the wrong thing, the fear of us not, you know, whatever that is. And the, the more that we conquer that, and again, we try to find every opportunity that we have to be in conversation with each other, the more we would actually learn from each other, I believe. I know I have learned so much from my trans sisters, um, and I'm hoping that they've, you know, been able to, to, to get the same thing from me. But I, I know that I have grown as a leader and I have grown as a woman because of the work that I have been willing to do to be in those conversations um, and to be in solidarity as much as I most possibly can, because it is, this is fucking us all up. Can I say that word? I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. great. <laughs> like, like we're, we're all getting fucked up right now. We all are, yeah. you know? And it's gonna mm -hmm. take our collective resistance, but I think, we, yeah, go ahead. Mm. No, I'm saying, I really appreciate that there's a couple sentences before you like how you, you've appreciated your, your, in your conversation with trans women, how that has made you grow as a woman, period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's what we're kind of all here to do. And when we stop believing that when we're giving more energy to what we feel someone is not, you can't say nothing to me because this, that, and the third, yeah. then we're blocking all of that information, all of that um, experience mm -hmm. that informs our own womanhood. Because we are defining, we're only defining our womanhood based on what we've experienced in the world. Mm. Right. And the more people you have in your world who identify as a woman, that just expands your view on, on what womanhood um, is. Yeah. But but I, I'm, I'm over here high fiving you as far as these fears of exclusion, erasure, um, um, not being counted enough, um, whatever, whatever that is on both both sides. We got to dead that because it's do. really we, we literally mm. cannot listen to we literally cannot hear each other. And, or we feel fearful to talk or, you know, when we do talk, are we actually hearing what each other is saying Say that. or we just want to hear what we want to hear? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think what's also funny in this conversation, because I, I, I want to make sure I hit with you all as listeners, you know, what is happening with um, these abortion bans and this conversation yes, around abortion is yep. like really, <laughs> you know, start to pop off. And, and, and what's interesting is that people believe that it's only cisgendered women that have abortion. Mm -hmm. That is mm -hmm. not true. <laughs> yeah. Trans folks have abortions as well. Yes. Trans, trans folks men. need um, trans men in particular. Absolutely. Trans men. I should say that to be more explicit. But trans men also and trans people across the board um, need access to health care, to reproductive health care, mm -hmm. to the services that they need to be able to take care of themselves and their bodies. This is all of us. But, you know, this 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 fight that we're in right now where we have seen now so many states take on this abortion ban um, legislation mm -hmm. is a very scary time for us, y'all. I mean, I think that people think that because Roe v. Wade is in place, that abortion access is 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 the cure, and it's not. We still have the Hyde Amendment in place, which makes it um, possible for us not to use federal dollars to support folks who need access to um, abortion care. We still have states like Mississippi and Kentucky and Missouri that only have one abortion clinic for their entire state. Right. Mm. Um, we and, and, and what is this crap in Missouri that I'm hearing that now these little white mother, I'm sorry, it's okay. these old, these old white motherfuckers put this new rule that doctors have to give women in Missouri, that mm. one clinic that is still holding on by yeah. a thread. Um, that they are getting un, um, I'm gonna say unneeded. That's not even a word. Um, they're getting pelvic exams that they don't need. 
Yeah. So they're basically saying, so they already have the pelvic exam, yep. blah, blah, blah. They scheduled the abortion. They have to take another one. And the doctors are now conflicted. It's like, this is not right. It's not. There's, there's it's no unnecessary. Need. Yes, it's, it's, it's intrusive. It's invasive. It's, it's, it's abusive. It's a violation. Yes, it's a this is yeah. sex, this is to, to us, this is, and to me as a leader, this is state sanctioned violence. This is what yes. we're dealing with right mm -hmm. here. And this is where we can start to see our connections all across our movements. Is when we are living in a world where we have our state actually saying that they are going to make the decisions on what happens to our bodies, right? We have taken ourselves way back in history, yeah. right? Whenever we are living in a world where our states are saying that they have control over our bodies. And so our fight is about abortion access, absolutely. But it's, it's bigger and, and it's, more, it's more expansive than that. Because if we believe that the only, the only thing they have on their plate, our opposition is this abortion battle, then we are selling ourselves short. Mm -hmm. Because this is just an entry point to them actually rolling out so many other things, right? That will impact our ability to live free and safe in this country and for us to be able to self-determine our lives. And so we have to like see this as the beginning of something bigger. That's how we're seeing it. And well. also I think yeah. a lot of women, at least born um, after, you know, 1973 <laughs> have taken Roe v. Wade as something that is ironclad and fortified right. legally. Yeah. And it's not that, 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 that law is, is hanging on. Like they oh, are chipping not. away. Yeah. They're chipping away at it. It's not a fortified law. Yeah. It's, it's not an ink. And it's scary to think, think about when we think mm -hmm. about the Supreme Court setup that we have and people think that we were going all crazy because Kavanaugh and, you know, and they thought that was just like, oh, they're just mad because he's, you know, whatever. No, we have to understand the makeup of the Supreme Court mm -hmm. <laughs> and their ability to make decisions that can impact all of our lives. And these are lifetime appointed positions. This ain't somebody we can just push out. Right? right like the, they can't be voted a, out no <laughs> this is a scary moment and so we have to make sure that that because we know that right and we know that they have these bigger plans because we are seeing them chipping away at this every single day um and for some people who are on the ground especially in places like mississippi and in the south in general we would and, and georgia shoot we can say that roe v wade hasn't been afforded to our communities even though it's been a law right mm -hmm. because our communities are still under resourced and black women only make 64 cents on the dollar and we don't have medicaid expansion in our southern states and across the nation and other places like we can just go on and on and on about all the things that are like built up against us you know, black women are dying because maternal mortality is out of control in this country because racism, ta-da, is still very real and rampant in the medical industrial complex. So when you when you add all of these things together, it is it's hard to see through it all, right? It's it's a lot to hold. But we have to know that it's gonna take all of us to be in this fight right now because again, it is about abortion and it's also about making sure that we are um voting in folks that we are paying attention to the policies that are being made that are impacting our lives and that that means all of us that means queer folks trans folks straight folks gender non-conforming folks gender non-binary everybody has to be in this fight because it's about our self out our self-determination right now and what are we making sure that our states and our legislators and those in power know that we are willing to put our that we're willing to put ourselves on the line for our own self-determination we have to do that Right. And so, yeah, I've also been seeing legislation um, changing around rape. So the conversation yep. around <laughs> um, what you can consider rape. Um, yeah. So there's this thing in North Carolina saying that you cannot uh, reverse consent once mm -hmm. the sexual act has begun. 
Um, there are laws in Alabama that state that a child conceived of, uh, conceived from rape, uh, the the father still has paternal rights and visitation. Um, there's <laughs> like my mind is like <laughs> yeah. blowing up even as I'm trying to like pull up some of the things that I've been seeing. Like, is, yeah. is can we talk about that a little? we could just talk about how fucked up they are. Right. And again, like this just continues to just reiterate the fact that they don't, you know, they don't give a fuck about us or our bodies. This is about, or they, or they give more fuck about themselves and the sense of control they can have on out, women's and, bodies yeah. and lives. Yeah. Even, even, and when you, even when you're a fuck, even a fucking rapist, yeah. a man who rapes mm -hmm. yeah. can have any fucking say in any fucking thing. Cause you know, every man got to have a little power. Don't want to feel powerless. Like you made someone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's, it's like they're Ugh. using every strategy possible to make mm -hmm. it clear that their agenda is to one, keep themselves in power, right? And to prove that we don't have any power over our bodies, over our decision-making. Um, and that's what we're trying to, that, that's the fight that we're in right now. Um, and they're hitting all angles. They're hitting every single angle, y'all. Mm -hmm. And not only are they hitting it from like this, you know, these ridiculous laws are moving forward in terms of like rape and coercion, the abortion bans. They're also like coming with religious refusals. Like that's coming up too in RIFWA mm. laws where they're like, you know, remember the the case against, you know, the, the queer folks who were trying to get a cake, you mm -hmm. know, for their wedding. And they were like, no, nah, we're not going to do that because you gay. Like they're ramping those things up in our states too. And that's yeah. not, and, and people don't realize that, that, that the religious refusals work really got, and RIFWA has really got re, in like, recharge because of the Hobby Lobby case, which was rooted in reproductive rights, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so again, we go back to the core issue of this, which is, you know, we are living in a world where, you know, our human right to self-determination and bodily autonomy is attacked on every single angle. And so we can no longer see ourselves as divided folks because our opposition doesn't see themselves that way, to yeah. be quite honest. Woo. We cannot see ourselves as- Can you say that again? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's true. They do not see themselves that way. And so they've been able to move further and longer um, because they are willing for whatever their reasons are to be at the table. And I'm not trying to focus on the opposition. I'm just saying we have to understand the opposition to understand what we're up against so that we can really rethink what our strategies are and our siloed movements are not going to save us. Our silos will not save us. They only hurt us and they only keep us pushed further back in our work. And so, yes, this abortion ban fight is not just for those of us who are committed to reproductive justice. It is the fight of all of us, because if we don't fight in a collective fashion for this, then we are showing them that they can continue to move their strategies. Um, and we can't let them do that. Where can people go for information if they want to participate or if they need assistance, if they need, you know, medical care? Like yeah. wh where are some places that are good that have the people's interest in mind? Absolutely. Well, you can always make sure that you hit up Sister Song, um, sistersong.net. You can hit us up on info if you want to get any info, info at sistersong.net if you want to send us an email we always answer to give any resources that we have um if you're in georgia and you need access to services because yes the abortion ban was signed into law um but that does, but it does not go into effect until um, January. And so we are working every angle to make sure that it does not go into effect. But in the meantime, abortions can still be had in this state. You can visit um, the Feminist Women's Health Center, who is a strong ally of ours, ran by a Black woman by the name of Kwajalein Jackson. She is amazing. Um, that is right here in the state of Georgia. There are abortion funds. If you need access to 
funding to get an abortion, you can contact the National Network of Abortion Funds, um, also led by a powerful black woman. Y'all black women are leading this work yeah. <laughs> right Let's now. Um, if you're in the South, you can also hit up Art Southeast. Um, that is also ran by a black woman um, to get access to funding. And if you want to know more about reproductive justice and get connected to this work, we have our national conference this October 24th through the 27th in Atlanta, Georgia. It's called Let's Talk About Sex Conference.com. The um, registration is open. It is the largest national conference around reproductive justice put on by us for us. This is the time to get connected to these issues. This is a political home that you want to be a part of. So be a part of that. And maybe we can get your gay aunties to come and do like a, a podcast yes. during the conference. Sure. I'm just saying. Sure. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. Um, because Holla. it is going to be ground zero for us in our organizing and how we're going to be moving this work forward into 2020 and beyond. Oh, that's beautiful. I, look, I've been, I have, I'm doing serious notes over here. And I, and I think I, just for those, if you have any takeaways, y'all, have your takeaways, what they may be. But if you take away anything, take away a couple of things, one from a legal uh, front um, and one from a philosophical one, if you just give me a couple of seconds. Um, legally, this country is made, or the laws of this country is based on precedence. Okay, so once we have a precedent like Missouri, where you have doctors literally going against their oath of do no harm mm -hmm. and being completely conflicted. I mean, doctor talking about they doing this and then going out of the room, just having a moment. Cause like, this is going against my oath. Yeah. So if they go against one oath in regards to this, where, so if do no harm is out the window, then what? Scary All time. right, Scary just time. saying. And another thing, just philosophically, and I think what Monica's kind of been saying this as far as just the interconnectedness of reproductive justice is the goal that we're trying to do is that everyone, um, whether you're already here, once you come out the womb, whatever, whatever decisions you make around your body, that this really is about the goal of us, us as a community reaching the full potential of the populace. Absolutely. So how do we, in that potential, that road towards you meeting your individual potential and that in the context of your larger community, starts from the rooter to the tutor, from the womb to the tomb. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And the decisions you make about your life, if you are pregnant, if you decide to have the child, the, uh, uh, the support that you have in doing that, no matter who you are, so that you can be the best parent and that child can be the best human being. It's, that's the goal. That's the moral, philosophical goal, isn't it? Yeah, now we can, you know, so we can have conversation and disagree on how we reach that. But I think we all agree that we want our children, if we decide to have them, our children that are already here mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know what I'm saying? And the ones we decide to have, that they have all that they need to, to meet their full potential. And thus we, we are healthy as a society, you know? Yeah. So if you take away anything, take away those two points that if you don't see yourself in this fight, trust me, you win this fight. Mm, and, and that old adage of, and then they came for you is real. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what's up. That is what's up. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This I am uh, amazing. <laughs> I'm really, really grateful, y'all. I'm so glad y'all are tackling this issue. I'm so glad you're moving your followers and all the folks who are down with the amazing work that you all are doing into this conversation. I promise you all, you want to be at our Let's Talk About Sex conference, y'all. You want to be in Atlanta, October mm -hmm. 24th to 27th. Um, Let's conference.com. But this the time is now, it is urgent, it is our time, and yeah. we're the ones that we've been waiting for. So let's do this. Gosh, let's do this. Um, so as you know, uh, thank you, Monica. Yeah, sure. like, I mean, I, I feel educated, I feel mm -hmm. um, exhilarated, I feel pumped up, 
you know, I feel like I even have more language to talk about this yeah. with people who may not exactly agree with me, yeah. you know, and again, just go back to our earlier conversation, you know, you know, your family, people, you know, your people find the language that you both have the common language you have yeah. and talk through that. Don't come, don't come at them in a way they ain't gonna say what the hell you're saying. You, right. you, you pick and pick like them, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're trying to be productive. Anyway, all that being said, um, as far as support in general, if you want to support your gay honeys. <laughs> yeah, do that. You know what I'm saying? Our piggy bank is at patreon.com slash your gay aunties. Of course, if you have questions, needing advice about love, life, sex, you name it, that them situations you be, you, all young folks be having it, you know what I'm saying? And some of y'all older folks, y'all still be having situations. If you do want a third opinion, some little perspective <laughs> on life, uh, holler at us at your gay aunties at gmail.com or you can uh, holler at us at, um, on Instagram. You can DM us um, and comment on this episode and others at Yigay Aunties. And with that being said, I am Hanifa Walida. I am Red Summer. And we are Yigay Aunties. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Later. babies. Love y'all always. Peace, everybody. <laughs>